probably a, a good thing. And uh, it was a bit of a disappointing weekend for me personally. Uh, I was supposed to go meet Kevin Calabro and drop shadow for him at a, a blazer at a blazer game. I didn't get to do that because of uh, the ice in Portland took a little like it was lagging behind ours. Uh, took a while to melt, but uh, for the Ducks, I mean. Uh, not a whole lot of success. No, disappointing weekend for them as well. Yeah. Um I think that I think it's not the end of the world though. We'll get into that. I want to hear about Griffin Bowe's uh, week 3 and yeah. surviving the ice storm. Uh man, this term feels like it's it's just taking forever to progress. It feels like it's mm-hmm. week 5 even though it's week 3. I feel like I've been here for like a month. Part of that's probably due to the ice being inside all this time, but I don't know. I my classes are going fine. I'm kind of ready for midterms already. I, this just feels kind of stale and boring. Awesome start to the show. Just really <laughs> uplifting from all of us. Uh, and we're going to get into some more uplifting stuff. Uh, Oregon men's basketball. A really tough weekend for the Ducks in the mountains. Uh, I don't know if if they could have been expected to win both of these games or really either of these games. It was well documented that Dana Altman has struggled in and the docs generally have struggled in Colorado in the past one and 11 coming into this weekend. They, they go one and 12, obviously all time in Boulder, an 86 to 70 loss. There are a lot of positives from it. There are a lot of negatives to pull from it. Same thing can be said about the 80 to 77 loss in Utah. These are two really solid teams. You know, you could argue that these are the number two and three or three and four teams or two and four, whichever way the cookie crumbles. These are two of the top four teams in the Pac-12. General thoughts on the weekend. Griffin, we'll start with you. Uh, Well, Oregon was 5-0 and in conference heading into this game, and mainly they had been puffing their record against lesser Pac-12 teams. Colorado and Utah were really the first test if Oregon was going to be the best team in the Pac-12. And I think right now we can agree, despite the record, that Arizona is probably the best team in the Pac-12. Yeah just power rating-wise. If Oregon is going to be number two, though, they're going to have to start picking it up against these better teams, and that could really start with playing better defense, giving up 86 to Colorado and 80 to Utah. I understand that the elevation is not going to be a factor every single week. Colorado and Utah both 5,000 feet above sea level. They're not going to play at an elevation that high the entire rest of the year. Obviously, Arizona State and Arizona at home coming up next, so two easier environments, at least for the Ducks, but now I'm just really questioning that that five and two conference record. That the two best teams you play in the conference so far, you lose. And early on in the non-conference, the Ducks did not play great. They lost a couple games in the non-conference. So I'm really just questioning this team as a as as a possible bubble team. I think right now they're probably somewhere along the first four out, maybe first four in. I have not checked an official bracketology. I think if if they can go two and zero this week. They'll probably be on the inside, of course, with a lot of more games to come. But it's really a time for concern if you're an Oregon men's basketball fan because you just don't know how this team is going to progress, how they're going to improve, or where their March Madness status is going to be in a couple months. I'm not too worried. Um, I you know, I wrote a preview article for the weekend. and Shout out. I, I kind of predicted them to regress to the mean just a tad. Um, I did predict them to win one game, which uh, they couldn't manage to do that. But, um, you know, as as a Ducks fan, like m- most 
are used to a slow start. And I think that the start of this year has been kind of a pleasant surprise. And there's bound to be some bumps in the road along the way. So, you know, you, you think of the Ducks as a second half of the season team. Uh, and not, not to get ahead of ourselves here, but um, it, it seems to be that the Ducks really improved their, their first half results this year. And if they, if they run to some bumps in the road, that's expected. Um, but if the, you know, they're a second half team. So I think it would be not surprising to see them uh, continue that trend. Look, moving forward. Yeah. I, I, I'm also not absurdly worried after this weekend. I was expecting one and one. I, I kind of figured they were going to lose in Colorado. I think Colorado's really good. KJ Simpson and Tristan De Silva are, are really, really good players. Um, and then for the Utah game, uh, Utah is kind of the team that I thought was going to be a little better than they are this year. They've been just a little bit underwhelming this year. You look at, at their roster, and, and Brendan Carlson, I mean, really should win Pac-12 Player of the Year. if When he's on, he's... He's kind of unstoppable. Um, Cole Bajamo's been been fantastic for them as well. Uh, they're they're just deeper than I feel like a lot of Pac-12 teams are used to. Um, but I was still expecting Oregon to split, and I think the fact that they didn't is concerning in itself. But then the the fact then a, a deeper look for me makes me really not that worried because you look at each of the games. The Colorado game, you 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 felt they were going to lose, but e- either way, they were up fifty-five to fifty-four, uh, midway into the second half. The fact that they were up in the second half is is reason for for intrigue for this team. And then against Utah, I mean, you could argue that that game should be in overtime or should have gone to overtime with and Dante grabbing an offensive rebound, getting fouled under the basket. He's not there to shoot free throws. Dana Altman said today he played out of his mind this weekend. This is a guy that's just coming back from injury. Um, and what he's been doing for this team in his limited minutes is is pretty fantastic. But six assists. Yeah, he's he he was. I mean, he was really kind of awesome this weekend. Uh, and surprisingly, and has really not taken a lot of time to to really get back in his groove. Um, but the guys that haven't been in their groove right now, the two freshmen, uh, and Mookie Cook as well. But uh, he's back on the the injured the injury report. So I'm gonna neglect to mention him. Uh, the two guys I want to talk about, Kwame Evans Jr., Jackson Shellstad, um, just a pretty stark difference between the start of the year stats and the last few games. Uh, Shellstad, from November 24th to January 6th, which was just three games ago, Ducks went 8-11. and Shellstad averaged 15 points, uh, three rebounds, three assists, but shot 51% from the field and 44% from three. Since then, the l- the numbers get a little bleaker. It's only three games. It's a pretty small sample size, but he's shooting 36% from the field uh, and averaging just nine points. And then you look at Kwame Evans. He took a, a little while, about three or, three or four games, to really get in his groove. But from November 24th to January 4th, was averaging 12 points, six boards, two assists, two seals, two blocks, shooting 53% from the field. Uh, he has gone just ice cold. The last four games for Kwame... He is down under three and a half points, only shooting 35% from the field. And the really scary thing for me is the blocks and steals are down just 0.3 steals and 0.8 blocks. So open-ended question, but but what's going on with the freshman right now? Uh, again, I, I'm not too worried because, like, I think this year 
the Ducks have gotten stronger contributions from their freshmen overall, even with the cold stretch, than they have in, in, in years past with uh, freshmen like Kellel Ware and uh, just kind of some disappointing stories like Bull Bull in the past where he looked like he was really good, but then he had to sit out the whole rest of the year. You know, at the time of the at the time of the uh, my preview article, I was really really impressed with what I saw from Shellstad. Um, you know, he was flirting. I mean, he was above fifty forty eighty, kind of flirting with almost fifty forty ninety shooting splits. That's those are things that Peyton Pritchard didn't do until his his latter years. Um, and you know, obviously the con- the comparisons between the two are. They're never going to stop. They're going to be here. Always. Yeah. Um, So, and Kwame Evans, uh, I was, you know, I've been impressed with his versatility and his ability to step into whatever role is being asked to. Um, Obviously, the Ducks are getting some big men back right now, and that's kind of, uh, I guess, putting a a, a damper on, on his ability to get on the court and have some meaningful touches so he's been ice cold um and he maybe he doesn't produce at the level that he did at the beginning of the season for the rest of the year obviously i think that he'll get out of the slump but he might not come back to like near 10 point per game averages because there's just um there's just other guys that need touches right now especially with nate biddle coming back yeah, I'm not really worried as well. It, it feels like every year for the Ducks, the last three or four years has been a rebuilding year for this men's basketball team. It's been very weird. They've always been one of the younger or least experienced teams. I do think Kwame Evans Jr. only scoring three points against Colorado could be kind of a problem when he played 18 minutes. If he's getting limited minutes, then three points isn't really a big deal. But for 18 minutes, you would expect him to score a little bit more than three in attempt more than four field goals so I'm not really sure if that's teams are possibly double teaming him or he's just not able to get open or maybe other players are taking the shots he he really only had he didn't have any assists in that game so I'm just I'm not really sure where this comes from as far as the other players are concerned I'm not really worried they're going to take their time to develop there's going to be ups and downs this is generally an overachieving team I feel like I did not expect the Ducks to be in the position that they are so while I'm not entirely on board yet, I'm I'm not really worried yet either. I I think that's that's fair. I think there's there's reason to be excited. I think there's there's reason to be uh, a little apprehensive about the Ducks' success to this point. And you know, you said it. They've been a rebuilding team for the last few years, and that's the unfortunate reality of it. But I mean, it is the reality. Uh, it, it hasn't been a great couple of years for Oregon. I do think they're they're on the upswing right now. Um, a guy I want to talk about is Jadrian Tracy because he has been one of the bigger surprises for me on this Oregon team. Uh, a two-year player at St. Joseph's uh, back in the A-10. Took last year to play at Florida Southwestern State, which, as we know, is a big kind of Oregon feeder. He's been really impressive. He's got count on one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games in double figures. Uh, really impressive for someone who was never really known as a as a shooter much more of more of a scorer um an interior guy more than anything but 
you look at the the five games before he was inserted in the starting lineup. He got into double digits twice. He hit a plethora of threes. He hit two against UCLA and then one in each against Washington State, California, and Colorado. Uh, his rebounding's there. His assists are there. His defense is there. This weekend, or on Sunday, excuse me, or Oregon went with a different lineup. They they took out Kwame Evans Jr., who we've talked about a little bit, and they went with Brennan Rigsby, Jermaine Kuznar, Jackson Shellstad, and Folly Dante, and then added Jadrian Tracy. What are your thoughts about Tracy acting as kind of the, the small ball four? He's only 6'5", 190, but, but in that lineup, I mean, he's the second biggest player. Do we like the addition of Tracy to starting five for Oregon? I think with 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 Dante coming back and, and, and Biddle coming back, uh, it makes sense to space the floor as much as you can and uh, just let Dante go to work um, inside with little with with as little defense as possible and uh, you know Tracy's impact in the starting lineup hasn't really been felt yet it's so it's such a new decision um, you know he went over three from from range over three from the field um, he had two steals uh, against Utah and I I, I think that you know, there's less of a need for rebounding with Dante back, of course, and he—I mean, he's he's one of the best rebounders in the country. So, I I think it makes sense, but I think maybe it'll be a matchup sort of matchup-based uh, dilemma there. So, I, I I would look for um I would look for Coach Altman to switch it up quite a bit over the course of the season. Yeah, I like that analysis there trying to spread the floor with Dante back. I think it's a little weird that he played 18 minutes and had zero points against Utah, yet in the Colorado game, he had 14 points. I'm, I'm not really sure where the big disparity is. Honestly. I mean, I just think that's that's kind of a, a coaching thing in that spot. Like, they don't need him to score next to Kuznar, Dante, and uh, Shellstad. They do need him to score when it's him next to the rest of the bench, but continue. Yeah. So it just that what that really tells us is they're going to use him in different ways and they're going to insert him alongside different players and sometimes he's going to play the role of a scorer and sometimes he's not. It really just depends on what the game calls for. That's one of the issues with looking at these box scores. But I, again, as Ryan alluded to, we don't really know his full potential and we don't really know how well he blends with this team because we just haven't seen him enough. It's really too early to make conclusions with these new players especially if you're purely going off of individual games. One last question, Nate Biddle. They, they announced that he's potentially coming back this weekend. It feels like it's been a couple weeks since they've, they've really started to say that. Who falls out of the rotation once Nate Biddle comes back to the lineup? Uh, Diawara. Yeah. Um, I, think that, I think that he's, you know, a good glue guy uh, to have at the end of the rotation, but a two man a two center rotation of Dante and Biddle and potentially also having some minutes where they're both on the floor together um it really kind of is a bit of a log jam at the center position and that would definitely bump the you know the third center in line out out of the rotation for the most part yeah i i agree i'm not really sure that if Dante is ever going to come fully back and be back to 100%, you may want to keep a lineup maybe two or three centers deep just to 
just to either in case Dante gets injured again or in case he needs extra rest or something kind of in between. You never really know what's going to happen. I don't think this team is ever going to get 100% back to what it was supposed to be entering, or should I say, before we knew about all the injuries. I don't, I don't think this team is ever going to get back there. And it's just going to have to play things by ear. There's not going to be one formula. It's going to have to make up things on the fly and potentially play or keep multiple centers within the lineup and rotate players in and out, as I was saying before. Yeah, I completely agree. I think Mo Diawara has done a really a nice job. Um, a thousand point score at Stetson. They haven't really needed him to score as much, and, and he's been really, really solid as, again, the, the glue guy, like you said, on this team. It's going to do it for the first segment. When we come back, we're going to talk some Oregon women's basketball after they struggled back in the Bay. You're not going to want to miss it. We'll break it all down on the other side of this break here on 881. KWVA. 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 I checked my voter registration online and I am ready to vote. I feel amazing. Hey, you! Did you know the Republican and Democratic parties have closed primaries? That means you need to register with one of them to vote in their primary election. Or you can register with a minor party or not be affiliated with any party at all. You get to choose. That's why your ballot may have different candidates than mine. Oh, wow. I'm going to hike around Crater Lake and treat myself to clam chowder at the coast. Don't know how to check if you registered? Just visit OregonVotes.gov and be sure to check at least 21 days before the May election to make any updates. I feel incredible. Who wants to frolic in some tulips? This message is brought to you by the Oregon Elections Division. For more information, go to OregonVotes.gov. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. What are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. What are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. It's been a long time since we've had an adventure in the forest. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. You're right. I should get out. Yeah, the forest is not that far away. Hey, Mom, come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. I'm former KWVA Sports Director Ryan Rillard, and you are listening to Quacksmack right here on KWVA Eugene 88.1 FM. That's a long. That's a long back. Music. It is a long uh, back music. I I like that one though because yeah, I think yeah. it. Uh, you know, it, it really gives the the energy that that we we all think about when we think quack smack. That's what the first thing that comes to my mind as energy. Uh, Oregon women's basketball had a tough weekend. Uh, I was there for both games. Uh, you know, I I didn't know if it could get sadder than a. A 25-point loss to the team that I grew up watching, and then somehow it did um, to Cal. And I think we should start with that game. Uh, it was it was a pressing game. I'm not even gonna. There's there's no way to sugarcoat it. It was Oregon was was up. They were shooting well. They were doing all the things that that they were supposed to do, except except 
rebound the basketball, which is so weird because Oregon is such a good rebounding team with Filipina Che and Kennedy Basham and Grace Van Sluten grabbing boards, and it just fell apart. And Cal just was parading the offensive boards. They forced turnovers in the second half, and even though they shot 33% from the field on their home court, they were still able to win by double digits. And I, I just that that loss I think hurts because you you win that game and you're three and four in conference, which isn't great. You're you're 12 and eight overall, which isn't great, but it's so much better than two and five and 11 and nine respectively. And to be up for most of the game and to again hold Cal to 33% on their home court, it it just sings. What are your guys' thoughts on on the uh, the Cal game specifically? But we can just go over the the weekend as a whole. Yeah, obviously the Ducks were not supposed to beat Stanford. Stanford perennially one of the best teams in women's basketball, especially over the last few years, maybe even a few decades. Where I mean, Cal yeah, since since TBV took over, which by the way, congrats to Tara Vanderveer for <laughs> becoming the uh, the all time wins leader in NCAA history, passing Coach K, as she should. <laughs> yeah, uh, but. On that note, Oregon actually shot really well against Cal. 50% from the three-point line, 41.5% from the field. Actually, which is very weird, a better three-point percentage than a regular field goal percentage. But they still they shot the ball relatively well. They didn't shoot the ball terrible. The rebounding, of course, was the problem. All these second opportunities for Cal. Not being able to win. I know it's on the road, but... Does Cal really produce much of a fan base? Probably. No, no, there was nobody there. Yeah. On sorry, on the Sunday at at noon, uh, there was nobody there. It yeah, was raining Stanford out. Stanford fan talking, by the way. <laughs> okay, no, it, no. You're probably right. You're probably right. Cal because has never really. No, because especially for women's basketball, Stanford has a good amount of fans, uh, and they they did definitely this this last weekend when uh when when we were there for for the record, um. But yes, Cal had nobody there. Sorry, continue. So basically, had like, to stick up for my card. Basically, <laughs> a, a de facto neutral game for Oregon, and right. you couldn't beat Cal. Just like, where has this program come to? I mean, they were competing over the number one spot four years ago in the rankings, and now, now I, I don't, I don't even know what to say anymore. I, I, I know I haven't been on the Quack Smack. I haven't been on the show in a while. I've kind of followed Oregon women's basketball, and it's just been slow deterioration of the program year after year after year to go from number two in the rankings to Sweet 16 and then just falling completely off the map. And they're not making the tournament this year. I remember they lost, like, seven straight conference games last year or something like that. And honestly, they won't they won't lose seven straight again this year. But 57 points on the road, just not enough second-chance opportunities, okay shooting. Really, and California, I mean, they didn't even have any blocks. I, I don't really know what to say. Um, I think seeing all those women leave in the off season, um, didn't help. It didn't help. And, you know, it, it, it forced, it forced us all to kind of keep our expectations in check, um, for the upcoming season. Uh, we, you know, last season was also pretty rough, um, just with just under, underperforming and also just injuries and, this year, at least we have at least they have a complete roster. Uh, at least they have a complete rotation of more than right. ten players. <laughs> um, but you know the program, it does look like kind of a shell of its former self right now. I, I think it's a little bit unfair though to, I guess, compare it to 
what it was in the past because like basically you know the roster is starting over kind of totally fresh um you know the the big man play has been you know a, a bright spot throughout the year but yeah man they really got killed on the on the on the glass versus a cow team that they sh- probably should have beat yeah in that game specifically a, a game that they definitely should have won uh up big for most of the game you know it, it's the se- it was the second chances it was the turnovers it's another game that Oregon has turned the ball over more than 20 times which is absurd uh in the win against Arizona which was felt felt like that was a, a turning point in the year um in that win against Arizona, they still turned the ball over a Kelly Graves record 27 times, and that's not the type of record that you'd like to have. Um, overall positives from this weekend, I think you look at the Stanford game, uh, when you're down 20 to nothing to start a game, it, it's hard to find positives. And Oregon was down 20 to nothing to Stanford about three minutes in. Uh, Cameron Brinks, Stanford's all-everything center, gets injured. Oregon goes on a 13 to nothing run. They make it 20 to 13. All of a sudden, you're halfway through the second half, and it's 31 to 26. Ducks trail by five with five minutes to play in 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 the first half. Things are looking okay. Then Stanford misses a jumper. Kiki Iriofen, who went for 20 and 17 the other day, uh, gets an offensive rebound, kicks out for a three, and all of a sudden Stanford goes on a 12 nothing run to end the half. I think overall, you open with a a 20 to nothing run you close the first half with a 12 to nothing run that's a 32 nothing stanford swing over about five to seven minutes the fact that oregon outplayed them for the rest of the game i think says something that and i realize you can't obviously take away those five to seven minutes that's not how sports work but i i I do think there's positives within that and then you know chance gray is back she's shooting over 60 percent from three for for her last week or so or two weeks or so uh, I, I I do think there's some positives from to take away from the Ducks for these this last weekend. Your guys' thoughts? Um, I think with with a rebuilding roster, um, you 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 really just have to look for flashes of of optimism, uh, flashes of of pr- production, and they definitely showed that against against Stanford at times and. I guess, you know, it's it's hard to expect them to keep that up for the entire game, especially against a a team with the winningest coach in, in history that's obviously going to get all the recruits all the time. And that, that small stretch against Stanford kind of shows that this team tends to play up to its competition. You know, they, they come to play when – when they feel they have something to prove and they can sometimes get ambushed by teams like Cal at the same time. Yeah, I think speaking about the depth, an interesting stat from the Cal game, the top four players in terms of minutes, 36 minutes, 39, 36, and 38. And then the player with the next minutes, only 14 minutes. That that just really shows that this, this roster is not where it's supposed to be. And I think Oregon really with all their sports – they need to put the hammer down with the NIL. They need to start going hard after these players. There is no reason with all the money that Oregon has that we have at this university that they're not able to get some of the best players in the country. We see Ohio State football do it, taking players away from Alabama and other places. There's no reason why Oregon in all of their sports, especially football and the two basketball teams, 
can't be going out and getting players because Oregon women's basketball is just not supposed to be in this position. They're not supposed to have a roster this small and this limited. Can I, can I say, though, uh, shout out to Sophia Bell. Um, had a great weekend. Yeah. As well as the um, a, a really nice game against Arizona uh, last weekend. Uh, 23 points over the last three games on 9 of 15 shooting. Uh, she's not the number one option in the offense, but she's she's really doing her job, and she's coming into her own. Um, and I I certainly didn't expect to see her playing – such big minutes so far, but I think she's she's really earning it right now. No, I, I, I agree. I think Sophia Bell's been great, and she's really started to heat up recently. And, and, and Griffin, against your point, yes, Oregon has all these resources. This team recruited really well the last couple of years. You got two All-Americans last year in Grace Van Sluten and Chance Gray, plus Kennedy Basham, who was really good in high school. And then this year, you sign your best recruiting class since you signed five five stars back in 2020. This is a really good recruiting class, and Oregon does their job recruiting. It's still a young team, and when you're a young team going up against the deepest and most talented conference, uh, I mean, up there in women's basketball history, like you're not going to start reaping those rewards immediately. And so, yeah, they didn't get Juju Watkins, and they, they didn't get whoever from the the rest of the top rankings but Sophia Bell's a top 25 player Sarah Rambis is a top 50 player uh the other freshmen on this team are still quality players Sammy Wagner graduated a year early and is a top 75 player like the future is bright it's just you're you have to go through these rebuilding years sometimes especially when you're not a blue blood and I think we can all agree Oregon, yes, they had those four years of prominence with with Sabrina Ionescu and, and Ruthie Hebert, but really, they it's not that they were like fantastic outside of that ever. It's not like it's this is a blue blood university. It's a really really good West Coast school that's gonna have years every three or four years where they're really good. Unfortunately for the Ducks, they're just not there right now. I think uh, back in those years, Mark Campbell made a big difference in the development of the players and just really also made a huge difference in like the locker room you know every everyone from that era of Oregon basketball has good things to say about Mark Campbell and now he's at TCU and they've been pretty successful so far they've been dealing with some yeah, injuries they're but going through it right now yeah, look at look at Sedona man she's cooking right now she is cooking she's uh, been really good this year off topic but obviously the loss of Mark Campbell is big no I, I agree I think that's one that Oregon fans forget about all the time, and, and you, you always hear about Kelly Graves and, and the jobs he does. I, I think it, it kind of goes under the radar sometimes. These other coaches, these secondary, uh, and I put that in air quotes because there's still so much value with them, these secondary quote, quote, coaches, there's a lot of, of really talented coaches that have come through the, the, the Kelly Graves coaching tree that I think we, should, that I think we, we can talk about uh, a little more. Uh, another day, but right now we, we we mentioned it a little bit. the The main problem for me this year for Oregon has been the turnovers. How does Oregon fix the turnover problem with its current roster, and and can they can they and if in that case yes, how do they uh, erase their turnover problems? Well, I'm not sure that there's much that can be done with this roster. For the for the most part, the players that are on the team and are playing, they're playing very well. They're playing about as well as you can expect them to play. The problem is more managerial. It's the fact that they have such a limited roster and really 
they're recruiting so well, but they're just it's not developing. Like you had that number one recruiting class in or not number one recruiting class, but highly rated recruiting class in twenty twenty. Why was Oregon not, you know, Elite Eight Final Four in twenty one, twenty two, twenty three? So it's just it's kind of more of a, a program thing that I'm talking about. I think twenty twenty five is really gonna be the year with a lot of these players now, a lot of the, the players in the last recruiting class gonna be juniors. Can they get over the hump? That that's really my question. I think this year the fate is kinda it's kinda sealed already. They're gonna struggle with turnovers. They're gonna struggle at, at times various facets of the game. It's not gonna be rebounding every time. I think they're gonna get a little better there. I, I don't think they're it's it's January. You can't really fix a team in the middle of the season, especially when they have as many conference losses as the Ducks do. It's just kind of a we're in a very stale position. I I, I think that it's it's understandable that the team is kind of reeling and maybe slowly recovering from the loss of Tahina Pow Pow, who was a great facilitator. Yep. Um, and she's um, a huge loss. And Chance Gray was the the, ter- the tertiary guard, and I mean she was the small forward really by right. by uh, by extension with with India Rogers at the two taking most of the shots, and now Chance Gray is the lead guard. And she just had 11 turnovers in a game. A turnover double-double. Right. <laughs> Not the um, type of double-double you want to have. Um, I, I think that she's still adjusting to her, her new role. Um, and her decision-making definitely does need to improve. And be, be more comfortable having the ball in her hands all the time, making, the, um, making confident reads. Uh, I, I do think that she's going to shore it up by the time the season is coming down the home stretch. I, I I look for, you know, some more glimmers of hope towards the end of the season. Yeah, Griffin, I, I really d- kind of completely disagree with the fact that the, the fate is sealed at this point. I think, you know, we were talking about it before beforehand on air, like how you think that, uh, that it's fluky when, when low-seeded teams make the tournament. And I think that's where it comes from is I fully believe that a team can grow and change throughout the year and get better. And you can have a really crappy first month or first two months and, and then turn it on, whether that's coaching or, or, or player development. Like, you you grow throughout the season, and I think we see it more often than we realize. With Look at, like, I don't know. I'm trying to I, I'm trying to think of an example for the, for, for the last couple of years. Look at what... um. Caden Proctor did at, at Bama this year. He was really, really bad at the, in, the, in the first stretch of the season. It was it, like 10 penalties in, in five games or something like that. And then the last eight games, he only gave up two sacks and was penalized like three times. Like, he was awesome. And that player development happens. And, and we all thought Bama was cooked at the start of the year. I know you didn't. but, but we uh, all Actually, I, I kind of did too. When, when week three, when they were almost losing to... Oh, oh no! Not even looking in the production room. Did Did Griffin just kind of admit that he thought Bama was cooked? Now I thought Georgia might have been cooked too because they were losing to Carolina in the third quarter. I, I I was like, what's going on here? Texas losing to Wyoming, maybe I don't know. Uh, Georgia losing, Bama losing, uh, Ohio State winning at all. I I don't know what's gonna happen. What, what happened to the game I love? Yeah, <laughs> for real. I ser- seriously, I, I don't I don't know. Anyway, that's besides the point. Um. Anyway, <laughs> I think Oregon can change. I think Chance Gray specifically is going to have to play a lot of the point guard spot 
she's not a point guard. And she, Kelly Graves admitted this. She she was recruited as as a two guard. Uh, you know there was she she was recruited as a combo guard. If anything, um, she's kind of been forced to play the point after you thought coming into the year that Peyton Scott, who is legitimately one of the best point guards in in MAC history, you thought that she was going to come in and, and be the one. Uh, they don't have a point guard on the roster right now. I mean, it's 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 Kennedy Williams who is hurt right now or is unavailable for the last few games. Chance Gray is is the quasi point guard, and then it's like Grace Van Sluten who has been the the other point guard for Oregon this year, uh, the the six three, uh, point guard ish player. Like, I I think just getting reps is gonna help this team get better in in, in the point guard spot. Yeah, um, I think that these these players are having to play a little bit out of their comfort zone right now, and um, yeah, hard to hard to expect them to to thrive in in the roles they're being kind of thrust in. Um, but I think that maybe this can be a growing experience for them, and can be a, I guess, an opportunity to 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 grow their game and become more versatile uh you know th these are the kind of these are the this is the mindset you kind of have to have uh when you're a rebuilding team you, you have to find the good in in the bad and so i think they're gonna do that i, I trust kelly graves to you know he's he's a seems like a positive seems like a guy who can find the positives and um you know I think he's a good motivator as well. So I believe it's it's going to get better. Yeah, I do believe that you have to lose now to win later. And I'd rather Oregon take their losses now when there's still the second half of a season. They could still theoretically improve. They could still improve their chemistry. They could improve their skills, improve their maturity, getting used to playing at a college level, especially for a team this young. I think it can really only go up in terms of this season. Really, it's going to be about retaining these players and getting them to stay, as I say, around this time most years. It's about re-recruiting your own roster and preventing them from going in the transfer portal. I think 2025 could be a bright year for Oregon, and really 2026 if we're extending out that far. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you. I think it'll be interesting to see what the next couple years of Oregon women's basketball look like. We're going to step aside when we come back. We'll talk some playoff football. We'll talk some college basketball if we want. We'll just, we'll, we'll kind of spitball. We'll have some fun on the other side of this break on 88.1. You're listening to Quacksmack. KWVA. KWVA. Hi, I'm Smokey Bear, and I made an assistant to help you prevent wildfires. Dude, I've got this. I've been camping since I was five years old. But I am a camping influencer. You know what? I'll bet you five bucks. Assistant Smokey, what is the best way to put out a campfire? To put out a campfire, drown with water, stir, drown again. Then make sure the fire is out cold by feeling with the back of your hand. Wait, really? I'll take the five bucks. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. <sighs> 
Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. Ugh, what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. What are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. It's been a long time since we've had an adventure in the forest. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. You're right. I should get out. Yeah, the forest is not that far away. Hey, Mom! Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Hey, this is Joey McMurray, broadcaster for the Oregon Sports Network and former KWVA sports director. But he's wearing Adidas pants. You can't do that. And you're listening to Quack Smack. Back on Quack Smack, your Tuesday night, Austin Oda, Ryan Oppenheimer, Griffin Bowes. Uh, let's talk some NFL, shall we? Yeah, good answer. Uh, recapping the last couple rounds, the last round was really, really fun. Niners-Packers was a good game. Uh, Chiefs-Bills was a really good game. Lions-Bucks was a really good game. Texans-Ravens was a good game for like 20 minutes. Uh, yeah, thoughts, everyone. Yeah, my main takeaway, I think the Ravens have established themselves as the clear Super Bowl front runner. I think the 49ers actually have the best odds, and I don't think it's really close. I think they're about, like, somewhere around plus 150. The Ravens are around plus 270. I wonder how much of that is people are thinking that the Ravens might lose to KC. I, I think that is part of it. Right. The Ravens are a three-and-a-half-point favorite over the Chiefs, and the 49ers are, I think, a touchdown favorite over the Lions. I don't, I don't think the Lions are receiving enough respect. They did beat the Chiefs in I week agree. one. I, I know that... I know that is week one, but the Lions are certainly a team that can beat the 49ers. And if the 49ers turn the ball over like they did that Christmas night against Baltimore or even have a m- mediocre game for their standards like they did against the Packers, it could it could spell doom for the 49ers. And honestly, I think on the other side, that that Chiefs versus Ravens game, that's going to be an amazing game, potential game of the year candidate. Um. I'm I'm really I'm really kind of going for the Lions. I mean, Ooh. <laughs> I I mean I, I'm I'm far from a Lions fan, but like they're just I mean you just you just watch them and they just they they just seem like they have so much fun. And yeah, I think I it's know, all I because agree. of Dan Campbell. Uh, he's just the ultimate galvanizer as a as as a head coach and um just you watch them and I don't know they have. They have they have elite aura right now. I I must say. Uh, yeah, I agree. I I think that, um, you know, and, and Jared Goff is the guy I've been following for a while. It's funny, like, I I'm all I'm all for the Jared Goff, uh, redemption. I don't know if he needs a redemption really, but like, I know that my dad, my dad. Shout is out, Mister Oppenheimer. Fan. Yeah, and my dad my dad is a Rams fan, and like, and he went to Cal. So, oh see, yeah. So, so when they drafted Goff, 
I mean, you would think he would have been excited, but like, there was no point when he was the Rams yeah. quarterback when he ever trusted him. Um, so it's just been it's just been really cool to see him get a fresh start because like I've always wanted him to succeed, and it seemed like he was just kind of under the microscope in L.A. So I guess enough with the Rams, enough with the Lions. Uh, they're a fun team. I don't think I would predict them to beat the 49ers. Um, but I would love to see a Ravens-Lions um, matchup in the Super Bowl, just personally. <laughs> I wouldn't. I'm a Niners fan. Uh, I wouldn't hate seeing a I, – I honestly, if any team other than the Niners wins the Super Bowl, I hope it is the Lions. And I would have said that at the start of the year. Nah, I would have said that or the um, – the Texans, because I think CJ winning would have been cool. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I I'm excited for this week. I think it's gonna be a good game. I'll uh, I'll call women's basketball at at noon, and then hopefully make my way home to uh, my the comfort of my bed so I can cry if the Niners lose along. Uh, I was at the Santa Cruz Warriors game on Saturday, um, the Warriors G League team during the game because my sister had won free tickets from her ex boyfriend. Um, and I was sitting watching the game on my bleach report, just like, like on border, like bordering on tears because I was so worried about the game. And I was like, I've never felt, I, I didn't think I would be this much of a Niners fan this year. Cause I really didn't grow up like loving football. Uh, I am all in on this team. So that's that, uh, four teams left Niners, Ravens, Lions, Chiefs. Let's power rank them. Griffin. Yeah, obviously I said I have the Ravens number one. I think a pretty good gap between them and San Francisco, who is number two. If they were to play again, I do not think it would be as bad as it was Christmas night. That was kind of an anomaly with all the turnovers from San Francisco, especially at the beginning. They definitely look like the better team from the start. I think the Ravens would win a rematch, though, pretty close. And then that's this is when it gets a little interesting. The Lions beat the Chiefs head-to-head, but I still think the Chiefs are better. I think they have more playmakers, even if the Lions are a more complete team. I think skill position football wins, especially in college, but even in the NFL, skill position wins. And I think the Chiefs would probably be number three there, but pretty distinct rankings. I'm not really fighting too hard over any one particular spot. Okay. I think if you looked at the results from this year alone in a vacuum – the Chiefs would probably be number four because of just Mahomes has kind of been hell in hell with his receiving core. <laughs> it's Very it's been ugly so. at times. Yeah. By the way, will Tony play against the Ravens? <sighs> I feel like they better hope not. The Chiefs better hope not. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's probably been the biggest offender yeah. as far as dropping, lining up offsides. It's just been uh, kind of a failed experiment there with Kadarius Tony. Um, so, but, again, in a vacuum, I would probably say Ravens, 49ers, Lions, Chiefs. But, um, you know, the number four team has has Patrick Mahomes. Uh, that's that's a factor that you can't ignore. Right. Uh, so I, I'd probably have to put them above the Lions because they're more proven. And you know what? I'd probably put them above the Niners as well because wow. – um, you're putting you know, who def- over the Niners? I'm putting the Chiefs over the Niners, just in terms of how okay how much I trust them to win the Super Bowl. Um, I, I think the defense 
is uh, hitting its stride. They really bottled up the Dolphins, and uh, they couldn't they couldn't really do much about Josh Allen. You know, he kind of beat himself. The team kind of beat themselves in Buffalo, uh, but you know, they only allowed twenty twenty four points, and I think that the Ravens game might be a lot more low scoring than a lot of people expect because those are two incredible defenses going at it. So you want to give your playoff power rankings for the four teams left? We can get Jason in here too. Are we doing playoff like the teams that are left over? Yeah. So it's Ravens, Chiefs, Lions, and 49ers. Yeah, I can tell you've been listening really hard to our segment. I, hey, I've been in here teaching. Right. I'm in I'm yeah, in, in I'm inspiring the youth to, you know, even though Jason's the same age as me. Uh-huh. Um <laughs> You know, Lion the Lions have been impressing me. I got to admit. I, I heard what Griffin was saying with about Dan Campbell. Um like he really has the city of Detroit on his back right now. Like he has so much riding on this on this NFC championship, but like his team is playing with a fire and I know the 49ers are, are have been like really good this year. Like they, no doubt since day one have been a Super Bowl contender. But I think the Lions could possibly pull out. We're not, we're not we're not asking who's gonna win. We're asking you to rank the four teams. Oh, the rank the four teams. Yeah. Oh, that's easy. 49ers, Ravens, uh, Chiefs, Lions. Jason, you're shaking your head. No, we want to pop on and give your opinion. Keep it PG. This is first time on air. I don't know if he knows. I strongly disagree with that take. Oh yeah, you're from SoCal, aren't you? Yes, yeah. I am a I'm a big Rams fan, like Ryan's dad. Shout so out anybody but the 49ers, I would say. It's crazy because they're gonna win. I would say, <laughs> I would say, um, I would say Ravens, Lions, Chiefs, and 49ers. <laughs> Ravens, Niners last. Yes, that's crazy. Wow. I just don't think. Uh, I don't I, know what to say anymore. I honestly, last wow, yeah, like I honestly think the Lions material. can beat them. That, that beats my. I, I think material. the Lions can beat them. I don't think that, that that the Niners are worse by any means than the than I, I think the Niners are like the second best team on the slate. Uh, if anything, first maybe number one. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Uh, can we can we talk a little bit about college basketball? I don't, Ryan. I know, I don't know how much like general college basketball you you follow. Um, Kentucky I follow records and scores. Kentucky number six lo- loses South Carolina. Uh, Rob Dillingham's such a bucket, by the way. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> I I I do watch a lot of like NBA scouting videos. Yeah, and Rob Dillingham's Dillingham. dude. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, Griffin, what you got on South Carolina? Uh, I I did not see that game coming at all. I mean, yeah. Kentucky, Kentucky, they're a blue blood in basketball, but they're not like gonna be number one or number two and just run through their schedule every year. They're gonna lose a couple SEC games here and there, so not entirely surprised that they lost to to Texas A and M earlier. But South Carolina, I I did not see that, and by seventeen points as well, that's really concerning going forward. I think that might drop them probably one one seed line as of now of course being in the sec they have a ton of chances to to make up resume maybe not this year but next year and in the future once texas and oklahoma enter they're going to have a lot of opportunities to work their way back up griff what are your thoughts on some of the the mid-majors like the the daytons who have been awesome this year deron holmes is a stud um like your of course, I don't know your Creightons, your your other like really solid uh, mid majors. 
in terms well Creighton's in the Big East but in terms of like yeah but I I know they're they're is not Villanova a blue blood. A mid-major to you nah. <laughs> continue just talk uh, yeah I don't take mid-major seriously in terms of championship I know you I, don't I, like even in 2020 with Dayton uh, they yeah they almost beat Kansas yeah they had a great record I don't I don't think they're gonna I don't take them seriously in terms of championship. Maybe Final Four. I think Dayton could potentially make a run. Creighton was really highly ranked at the beginning of the year. I think they can get back. They're losing to Xavier by six right now, yeah. though. Not not very good. I think uh, BYU is not a mid-major, but they are in the Big 12 now, losing by seven to Houston. If they win this game, potentially, if they're able to come out on top, they'll probably be in the top 15 next week. So, you know, maybe some optimism there. Can they lock up a top four seed? What about, like, a, a San Diego State? I'm not really sold. About a Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic. Uh, maybe at the beginning of the year I was kind of sold. Can yeah, when they beat Arizona, I was like, okay, this team might be legit. And, and then Arizona turned out to you know not really be the number one team in the country. Yeah, Arizona they sucks. Started. They don't suck. They suck. How about? Have you Griffin? Have you watched an Arizona basketball game? I mean, this uh, yeah, I watched them. Beat, I watched them beat the something I can't see on air out of Wisconsin early in the year when they were, I think, ranked number one. I am so low on Arizona. I watched Stanford destroy them. Um, and I've been on, I've been low on them for a couple of years. I, I don't think Bobby Hurley's a great, or not Bobby Hurley. God, I don't think, uh, what's his name that I, I can't remember his name right now. I don't think, uh, you know who I'm talking about. Tommy Lloyd. Tommy Lloyd. Tommy thank Lloyd, you. Yes. I was going to say Miller and I, I couldn't get Tommy. I can get, I can see his face. Anyway, I don't think he's a great coach. I think he's a phenomenal recruiter, but I still think there's, there's value in coaching. Um, all that said. There's just no system for Arizona. Like it's Caleb Love has the ball in ISO, and then pray someone else gets open. And Umar Balo is just is is all attitude, and he's he's annoying to watch. So I I'm so low on Arizona. I think Oregon uh, beats them pretty pretty badly this weekend. Really, you think Oregon's better than Arizona? I don't think Oregon's better than Arizona, but I think that they win at home. I think they get up big early and, and end up taking that one. That's that's not what it what it used to be for Arizona. They used to be yeah, a really right. balanced roster with with lots of ball movement. Right. Obviously when you bring in a guy like Caleb Love, right, that that'll change. And yeah, they lost some of the guys that that played with that style like Tubelis. Yes. I he was fun to watch. Not an Arizona fan, but he's fun to watch. No, I agree. I I liked Zolas Tubelis a lot and I liked Pelo Larson before this year and then I I saw Arizona play and he was just kind of boring and Ballo is is a little bit boring. Um those are those are just my thoughts. What are your Ryan? What are your thoughts on on Caleb Love's like draft prospects? Uh, well, Caleb Love, I, you know my 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 best friend from middle school. He uh, he he went to North Carolina, so I, you know, I I always rooted for. I was rooted for Caleb Love, and I think that he had great chemistry with Armando Baycott. Those yeah, are two did. guys that are gonna go down in, in college basketball history not a lot of guys that stay in college that long anymore and produce that much um but Caleb Love I mean I I think that I think that he's got some some room to improve I, I think that he needs to work on like the pace of his game a little bit uh but the, the talent the talent's obvious of course I would say uh I I haven't even looked at I haven't seen his name in any mock drafts and that, that's because I haven't looked at any mock drafts. I'm sure he's there, 
But, I mean, I would guess that he's probably towards the end of the first round. I don't know. I think that's a good spot to put I think, him. yeah, I think uh, the the problem is, is always going to be the shooting. He's not the greatest three-point shooter. Um, but you look at the form and you look at the, the free throw percentage and you think there's there's probably a chance for, for him to be good. He's a four-year double-digit scorer at, at two really good teams. So I think that says something about what Caleb Love can do. Can we talk about the transfer portal just a little bit? Uh-oh. Uh, yeah, with regards to not just Caleb Love, but really in general. I mean, Uh-oh. Uh, I'm not. I'm not a North Carolina fan. You have 30 seconds. Spitball. Well, what What is going on in the production room? But yeah, I w- I'm not a North Carolina fan. But I got used to watching him with Armando Bacon at North Carolina. I started to, you know, like his chemistry with their players. And now he's at Arizona. And I'm like, well, what the heck is this? I mean, it it just kind of ruins the experience as a fan. Unless you're a fan of the receiving team. I, I don't know. I you just get used to seeing players. You know play with other players and you want to see them continue to play with those players. That's my take. Yeah. I I think it's become a little too much like free agency. I think like it makes sense for the guys that aren't really playing to transfer, but it doesn't really make sense on like a really good team. If you're one of the best players to me to, to transfer in or to transfer out. Well, that's going to do it for us tonight. Fun show tonight. We talked Oregon men's basketball. We talked Oregon women's basketball. We talked some pro sports. We talked some college basketball and we'll be back tomorrow night for Ryan Oppenheimer and Griffin Bowes. My name is Austin Oda. We will see you tomorrow. Quack Smack on KWVA. If you make-